the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And it's the second in our third Summer of Sharks series. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at 2010's The Reef, directed by Andrew Trochi. It's the second of our Summer of Sharks series, part three. And in this episode, we are going to deal with something a little more serious than the last film. We've gone from Sharknado 5 to a film that was inspired by a true life story. It's 2010's The Reef, directed by Andrew Trauke. Okay, so according to Absolute Horror Wiki, this is a little synopsis about what you can expect from The Reef. The Reef is about a group of friends who capsize while sailing to Indonesia. The group decides that their best bet for survival is to swim to a nearby island, but they find themselves stalked by a great white shark. So this plot is familiar. It's definitely one that you've seen all before if you are interested in the shark movie genre. That said, even though this movie is incredibly similar to a film we covered last year, Open Water, I still really like this film. It definitely kept me engaged. It's very intense throughout. So it's one that you kind of know what you're getting, but you're kind of there with the characters as they fight for survival in the depths of the ocean where there is a predator lurking and they don't know from one moment to the next when that predator will strike. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one as well. I think that it does what it does with very limited resources and a reasonably low budget very well. The photography is really crisp and clean. It looks gorgeous location-wise. It does utilise some shark footage, but you can't see the joint. It's not like some of these Italian movies where the film stock changes completely when it goes to a shot of the shark. And I think some of the shark footage is captured by the filmmakers as well. The trick that it does play is that it gives you very little knowledge of where the shark is, when it's going to strike. You don't see an awful lot of it. When you do see it, it's fairly terrifying because these are not the sharks that announce their presence by having a load of stringed instruments following them around. It suddenly appears. You don't know if it's going to attack. When it does, it's quick, it's brutal, it's bloody, but it doesn't overdo the gore effects. In fact, 
it's old and nastier because you don't really see a lot of the injury. There's one particularly gruesome moment where it takes somebody's leg off, but it's just the sight of the blood in the water and the actor thrashing about in pain that sells it. You don't get a lot of gore in this movie, which I think works in its favour because it's more to do with the human drama. It's more to do with building the suspense. And even though at the start, I was a little bit annoyed with some of the characters, by about halfway, you are on their side. Nobody wants to see him get eaten by a shark. And it's not one of those movies where you think, oh, well, I know who's going to survive this. It's fairly unclear because people are just taken at random really quickly in really awful ways. Absolutely. I agree with you on all of that. Yeah, beautiful cinematography. And my husband actually made a joke during one of the scenes where you can see the yacht sailing, said it was like a life insurance advert. That was the kind of <laughs> vibe it was going for. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. The characters, yeah, I did find them typically quite annoying. And I wouldn't say that I was on board with them, but I know what you mean. When they're put in that situation of peril, you kind of are rooting for them. And I think it's just that goal that you've got set with the film that they need to reach the Turtle Island so they can call for some kind of help. On the whole, yeah, I didn't think they were... They, I think they were just regular flawed people. I think that's what it was trying to come across as. And they're not exactly the type of people I'd like to be stuck in the middle of the ocean with. But I think put in that situation, it's basically either fight or flight at the end of the day. There is one member of the group who decides to stay behind on the boat. So the boat is upside down and it is going to sink. So they've either got a choice of sink or swim. That is literally the premise of this film. And the four other members of the group decide that they're going to swim in the hopes of survival, even though the guy who stays behind warns them that there are sharks lurking in these waters and he's too afraid to get in there. I was kind of rooting for him, thinking, oh, he's going to be the smart one. He's going to stay there and he's going to be okay. But spoiler alert, by the end, we were informed that he was never found, basically. There's no trace of him, no trace of the boat, which I was just hoping he'd be like there at the end. Smug said, well, they should have listened. But it doesn't go that way. As you say, yeah, it's the human drama. So there's two characters in this that you think are quite likely to survive as they're set up as the main protagonist. And then you've got the supporting characters that do go first, spoiler alert. The two main characters, they've basically got this sexual tension going on between them. They're exes. I'm not really sure what happened between them. They apparently wanted a break or she wanted a break. There was just some excuse like that. And then... It's clear that they still are really into each other. Oh, and there was some weird snogging. I mean, the snogging in that film, it was like, okay, come on, let's see some sharks now. Because it was kind of like they were eating each other's faces. It was just like, this is, does not look romantic in the slightest. But you just kind of have that tension going on amongst the horror situation as well. Even though I can't say this film is anything particularly groundbreaking, but something about it kept me really engaged. And I think it is just that adrenaline rush. It just They, they just wanted to make a film that was really intense and adrenaline fueled, and that was going to keep you gripped to wondering whether these characters are going to survive or get eaten by sharks, essentially. I agree with you about the snogging. It is the most gruesome bit of the entire movie, <laughs> the snogging. It's interesting, the central relationship, it's more driven by the woman than the man. And it seems to be down to Kate rather than Luke, where 
Luke seems to be more unsure about where it's going and she's more in control of whether or not it's just going to be a physical relationship or something else. And that's an interesting flip because normally you have the guy who's doing all the driving in the relationship, whereas here, Kate's the one who's in control. Kate's the one who seems to be making the ultimate decision about where the relationship is going. And even though it kind of goes in a more conventional way in the second half of the movie, you do feel that Luke is just being pulled along by Kate and that whatever she does, he will end up having to go along with. So strong female character and a strong female character that you are on side with. You don't feel that she is selling Luke short at all. It's just that she knows what she wants out of life and she's not sure at the start whether that includes a more serious relationship. Early on in the movie, there is a line that says, you're more likely to die from a bee sting than get eaten by a shark. Now, when somebody says that in the opening few minutes of a movie, you know people are going to get eaten by a shark because that's what the movie is all about anyway. It is based on a true story from 1983 about a trawler that was crewed by various people and they unfortunately met a very sticky end apart from one guy called Ray Boundy who had to stand by and watch his friends get eaten by a shark. It's a fairly tragic story. They've used some of the story for the basis of this. It is mostly fictionalised but they have taken the real life events as inspiration but it's not one of those movies that's going to wallow in the real life tragedy. There are different characters it's a different setting. There's a different reason that the boat gets wrecked. So I think just taking the inspiration is fine. I think if it was wading into the real life events, it would have felt a little bit intrusive. Something like, which I'm going to say it again, Wolves at the Door, not a shark movie, but it's a movie that purports to be a fictionalised account of the Manson family murders and ends up being pretty much a retread of them all. That feels nasty. Here, I think just using the real-life events as a stepping-off point for a fictionalised work is absolutely fine. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think the way they've handled it is a lot more respectful because, obviously, in the true story, a guy survived. I'm going to spoil this now. It is Kate that survives this movie. She is the sole survivor. So they've flipped the genders there just to separate it from the real events, which I think, as I say, is very respectful of them taking the essence of what happened and then creating their own characters and own narrative around it. I think that's absolutely fine. There's one character, which is Kate's brother. Oh my gosh. He has this weird line. It's in the sequence where they are starting to swim along and they're discussing about how to keep focused mentally when obviously their bodies are going to get tired and dehydrated. And he starts talking about when he's in the gym and he's at the last push, he imagines himself having sex. And it's the cringiest line of dialogue. I was like, oh, for goodness sake. I mean, there were moments in this film where I was genuinely laughing at some of the things these characters were saying. So I was thinking, would people really talk like this? But I suppose you have to accept that surrealness to a point because they're in a very extraordinary situation and no one knows how they're going to act in that moment. There is going to be sheer panic and fear moments of um, trying to stay sane, trying to support each other. But it's a very hopeless situation. And I think that the movie got that across very well. Despite the fact that it could have been the sort of movie where you thought, well, 
they don't feel like they're in the middle of nowhere. You can kind of tell that it's fairly close to shore. You can't in this. There's some really long shots in this movie where there's nothing around at all except water. And that feeling of isolation and desperation is really, really well done. And the suspense just keeps getting cranked up and up and up as it goes along. So it kind of eases you in for the first 15, 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden it's suspense all the way. And there are some quite terrifying set pieces. There's one bit where they can see a turtle shell and it's just floating towards them. And it seems to be floating towards them for absolutely ages. And you know something dreadful is going to be on the other side of that turtle shell. But they just crank it up and crank it up and crank it up and it just drifts towards them ever so slowly. And it's that kind of moment. There's a bit in Jaws 2 where Roy Scheider goes down to the beach and there's a plank of wood and he lifts the plank of wood up and there's a body comes flying out from underneath it. It doesn't exactly happen the same way in this movie, but you just know that there's something horrendous when they get to the shell, and there is. And even though you know it's going to be awful, and even though you know that it's cranked up to be a jump scare, it's still a really good jump scare. Yeah, that was a very effective shark movie moment, I have to say. And I think that's one that will make the reef stand out against all its counterparts. That is a very eerie moment because even though they're trying to get to this turtle island and they see this glimmer of hope in the distance and the closer it gets, it's just absolutely horrific what they see. Basically, the turtle has been mauled, presumably by a shark. It's just a turtle corpse. And I think that is kind of, representative of their hope just drifting away from them constantly and there's no turtle island in sight you know you're trying to keep up that momentum and think no they're gonna get through they're gonna they're gonna survive you you're like you're being hopeful but we know this is a shark movie we've seen many of these films and i think you know exactly where it's gonna go but that doesn't mean that it doesn't keep your attention and makes you just want to stick with it through to the bitter end it does keep your attention, even though there's a small cast and you kind of know where the plot's going. It still has a lot of tricks up its sleeve to throw you off a little bit. And there's some quite good gallows humour in it, mostly from Warren, I have to say, in the first half hour. Because when they're deciding to either leave the boat or stay on it, Warren's the guy that just decides to stay on the boat. Everybody's getting into the wetsuits. And at one point, Warren says to somebody oh, you look like a seal in that. And you think that's going to be kind of a joke. And he leaves it a couple of beats and says, sharks love seals. So it's already setting up the fact that they're putting themselves out there as targets. And even before they've got into the water, you're panicking. And then a few minutes later, Warren is on the boat and he sees a shark swim past. And at that point, you're thinking, oh shit, here we go. And from that point on, all bets are off. Anybody could die. As we've said previously, everybody does die except Kate. And at the end, Kate is pretty much left a broken woman because her friends have gone. At the end, Luke is trying to get her onto this rock and she's trying to pull him on as the shark's coming closer. Now, in most movies, she'd pull him to safety at the last minute. The shark would miss him by inches and then go swimming off. Roll credits. Not in this one. The shark gets poor old Luke, never to be seen again. And 
It's a horrendous way to end the movie. It's a real downer. At one hand, yes, Kate has survived. But on the other hand, everybody's dead and she's seen them all die. So it's got extraordinary ramifications for the end of the movie because Kate is basically broken by the experience. Yeah, you all know she is going to go through one hell of a trauma. The chances of her relationship are gone. I say her brother's gone, sister-in-law's gone. Warren, who is a legend, who decides to stay on the boat, they can't find him. Let's hope he's out there somewhere. But I'm not saying hopeful for that. But yeah, it's a very bleak ending and it's very bold that they don't go for that typical Hollywood ending where it's like, oh, he survived and they're on the rock and then the helicopter rescues them and they kiss. There's none of that mushy stuff in it. This is complete bleak reality. And you have to commend the film for just going for that. And I think what makes Luke's death even sadder is the fact that he is this expert on the ocean, on sailing, on everything. He's the kind of brains behind the operation to a point. He's the one that's leading them. So I think that's what makes it even more horrific that she's left behind on her own. And you think then would it have been better if the shark had had her too (laughs) by this point? Because she's got to live with that trauma and that loss. So it's... um, yeah, it's a, it's a very dark and deep film to a point. I mean, when you really sit back and think about it, it's not just some dumb, silly shark movie by the slightest. And even though it is quite a predictable horror, I think when, as you say, when you finish the movie and give it some thought, that's when it hits like, oh my God, this whole scenario is just horrendous and you just can't imagine what you do in that situation. So I think it's definitely one that's gripping and I just love films like this and when we watched Open Water it's just that sense of being surrounded by ocean and you don't know what's lurking out there and it's a great way to tell a horror story of the shark genre because I think we have two sides to the shark movie genre we have obviously the -the over-the-top comedic stuff the silly stuff and then we have this more serious approach so both of them certainly have their place in the cinematic world and as say as much as I enjoyed Sharknado 5 last week, this movie I equally enjoyed just because it just did everything so well. It just knew how to execute the suspense. Yeah, it's completely the other side of the coin to Sharknado 5, and they both need to exist because for all the silliness and the campiness and the comedic stylings of Sharknado, shark attacks are quite a serious business. They don't happen very often, but you have to mind the dramatic potential of this sort of thing. And this really does and leaves you as shaken as the people who are involved in the story. You don't even get the cathartic bit with the rescue at the end. You don't see the helicopter coming over. You don't see the boat turning up to rescue her. You just get a line of text saying that the next morning she was picked up by a fishing boat. So you don't even get that joyous moment where she's made it out. It's so bleak. It won't even give you that. It's just, oh, by the way, she got out. But guess what? Everybody else is dead. And I quite like the fact that something this bleak is in the shark genre, because normally you do get a little bit of hope. You get the shark being killed as well at the end in quite a lot of these things. No, doesn't happen here. The shark's off to kill more people, probably. It really is one of the darkest shark movies that we've covered so far. And more, please, if they're done this well. Yeah, definitely. My only 
criticism, I would say, I think from a narrative point of view, I think it would have been better prior to the shark attacks to have one of them with a wound that was bleeding because I just felt we needed a bit more ammunition on why the shark would attack. So I think the fact that they smell blood, that would have probably been a bit more plausible than the shark just going for them. Because even though I understand that I'm getting my shark facts straight here, my understanding is if, if a shark sees a human floating in the water, they may mistake them for an animal. But if a shark does bite you, they'll probably spit you out straight away. There won't be this savage attack like the movies tend to portray. So I think I'm correct on that. Obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was my only criticism. I think someone should have had an open wound on their foot earlier or something like that just to entice the shark. And then I think that would have ramped up the anti a lot like the whole peril of the situation because one of them is bleeding and it's like oh shit it's like we need to swim and we need to get a move on but oh we need to hang back because there's going to be a shark yeah that would be my only criticism of it from a storytelling point of view but otherwise I think it does everything incredibly well and a testament to it is as we've said we found the characters really annoying but the fact that we stick with them and they, they're annoying people, but they don't deserve what happens to them. I think that's the reality of it. I mean, nobody deserves to die, and especially in such an unprecedented, horrific way like these characters do. And again, you have to think this genuinely happened to somebody in the 80s. And I think that makes it even more horrifying, knowing that this is rooted in some sort of reality. There was a point where I thought that the blood in the water was going to play into it because early on, Matt gets a wound on the side of his head. And I thought, when they start swimming, is he going to start dripping blood into the water? But the head wound disappears. So I don't know if that was a bit of misdirection or what, but or whether it was just a slightly dodgy bit of continuity. But I thought that was <coughs> going to come into play, and it didn't. The weird thing is... It made it more terrifying for me that there was no motive for the shark attacking at all. It was just going after people. And I think for me, the lack of explanation for these people getting attacked is even more terrifying. It's that whole thing about serial killers. If you know why people are being murdered, it makes it slightly more palatable. It's still horrific. But the one thing that we don't deal with is motiveless killing which is really terrifying that somebody is just killing people because they happen to want to do it. There's no motive other than that. Whereas the shark here, is it just killing people because it's got a taste for it? It's not really after food, it's just after killing people, which makes it even more terrifying if that's the reason that it's going after people. It could be, I don't know, I'm reading into the movie too much, but whatever the motive, this is a really fine piece of work. They've obviously got a limited budget, small cast, but they've made it look really great. They've utilised the resources to make the shark attacks look really convincing. The small bit of shark footage that you see is really good because you can see it up close when it's swimming past people. So they've assembled everything that they could to make a really professional piece of work, and they have done. There are shark movies which are far bigger budgeted than this, which don't work anywhere near as well as this one does. Yeah, sometimes less is more, and independent films 
can often trump the big mainstream Hollywood films at times. And I think, yeah, this is definitely one of them. And going back to this idea of a necessary killing, I mean, what makes it even more chilling in this is the fact that it is nature versus man. And the shark is equally as innocent as the human victims because the shark doesn't understand what it's doing, I suppose. But it's, it's just fueled on instinct, isn't it? That's how I think we have to remember with these shark movies. I mean, unless it's something like Jaws 4, where the shark is apparently intent on revenge on the original family. I mean, that is when you really have to suspend your disbelief. I mean, it's really fun. And I enjoyed the hell out of Jaws 4, I'm not going to lie. But with this, you just have to remember that this is a really desperate situation and there's no winners in it. And I think that's when you take that from it, as we've described this way, it's incredibly bleak. And as you said, we don't get any resolution. The movie just ends. It's like she's on the rock, boyfriend's dead, movie ends. They just give us a little recap at the end of what happened to everybody. And you're just left like, okay, I think I need to watch something a bit more feel good now to cleanse my brain of this. Interestingly, this film didn't get a huge release, especially here in the UK. It was released straight to DVD in January 2011, which is a graveyard for horror movies, January. That said, it has been picking up in recent years since we had the release of Megan this year and Scream 5 previous year. So I think horror is escalating in the movie ranks during January. But back in 2011, I think this would have definitely gone under the radar. Is it a name I've heard of its film? I've always been aware of, but, you know, I've never sought it out until we started this marathon of shark movies on this podcast. So I'm grateful to that. Grateful Summer of Sharks, which is basically letting me dive into all these shark movies. So very happy with that. And excuse my horrible puns. It's a shame that this isn't better now. And it's a shame that this got slightly worse treatment as a cinema release than it should have done. I think at the time they basically said because of the way it was financed, the most that they could hope for in Australia was a release in 30 cinemas. I mean, that's nothing. And it's a shame because... There's some awful crap out there that gets mainstream wide releases. And something like this, which is made with care and attention and is a really well put together piece of work, drifts off and isn't seen by many people. There really is no justice in this world, especially when it comes to shark movies. But hopefully it's had more of a life on DVD and it's out there to rent. It's on Shudder as well. I would recommend all Shudder subscribers. If you haven't seen The Reef, go and see it. It's 87 minutes of your time and it's 87 minutes well spent. Yeah, and it doesn't drag. I think that's what's great about it. It just sets out what it intends to do and gets on with it. It's not a film that is going to be hugely indulgent. There's only so much you can do with a scenario like what is presented in this film and they just execute it brilliantly. It's not a flawless film by any means, but it's just a very good watch. It's worth a watch. And as I say, if you're on Shudder, definitely check it out if you haven't already. And if you're not on Shudder, it is available to rent for £2.49 on Amazon. So I didn't feel that I'd wasted my £2.49 this time. I know there have been movies where I've definitely felt that way, but this one, definitely worth the rental charge. So yeah, I think we're off to a really great start with our Summer of Sharks. Enjoyed the film so far. I hope to enjoy some more of them. I hope we don't come across any duds, but 
we will see about that. So to close off with the reef, IMDb have rated it 5.8 out of 10, which I think is a little bit ungenerous. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 80% tomato meter and a 41% audience score. So the critics absolutely love it. The critics know that this is a really strong piece of filmmaking. They actually acknowledge it this time compared to most films. Yeah, that's weird, that. I mean, I totally agree with the critics. It is a great piece of work. The audience, what did they not see in it? Did they think it was too similar to things like Open Water? Did they think that it didn't have enough gore in it? I can't really predict what the audience would think because I was really entertained. I didn't need gore. It was really suspenseful. I had a good time with it. So I'm not really sure why it didn't land as much with the audiences as it landed with me. If they didn't like it, yeah, I'm sure there were reasons. This time, I have to say, not often. I am with the critics. Yeah, absolutely. That's a turn up for the books. Yeah, as you say, I think, you know, it is similar to Open Water. There's no denying that. I think I enjoyed this film much more than Open Water. I, I know that both of us disliked Open Water on our initial viewings. And then when we reviewed it last year, we found a new appreciation for it. But that said, this one grabbed me straight away. It is similar. There are plenty of movies of the same ilk out there. And I so agree with you about the gore because there's enough blood in this and it's what you don't see that has more impact. I mean, when the character is saying, but, oh, my leg, my leg, he's got my leg and you need to get away from me, I'm bleeding and whatever, and then basically he dies. And it's, it's quite an emotional scene, especially for an annoying character. And it just leaves that to the imagination because you can't see this leg floating off or anything to that effect. So, <laughs> yeah, it's done it incredibly well. And it's all that less is more. It's a lot more subtle than many other shark movies, so definitely has that in its favour. Yeah, so to the writer and producer and director of The Reef, Andrew Trauke, good job, mate. That's a cracking shark movie you've made there. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 103 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to keep up to date with our content, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Summer of Sharks continues next time, episode 104. And we're heading to our Italian chums again. Next time, we're going to 1984 and Lamberto Barthas, Devouring Waves, as it was called in the UK. But we're going to be having a look at the... American titled Devilfish. Yeah, you can't beat that title. I mean, I'm laughing to myself already. And Darren has described this film to me as crap that makes him laugh. So I am very much intrigued by this. First time viewing for me. So come along for the ride with us as always. And we will be talking about Devilfish in next week's episode. Can't wait. Until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.